You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. I want to invite you now, uh, what I think is the, maybe the, the engine that even makes some of these things possible, and that is to open the Bible with us. And, and I want to invite you to Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, Lamentations, you'll find is about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, and, and we'll try to pick up where we've left off uh, as we're, as a church, walking through this book of the Bible. And, and if you find yourself saying, I've never read this book before, then you're in good company. Most people absolutely avoid Lamentations. It is a difficult and terrible, in fact, book, because it is about the worst situation that the people of God had experienced up to this point in the story of the Bible. That is that These people in the story of the Bible have been given a promised land with a king, kingdom, and priesthood, and and even a a, a beautiful place to gather that is the temple and experience God's presence, and yet yet they turned against God and and trusted in other things, and and God in his mercy fulfilled his promise to say, that's not going to satisfy you, and if you want that, you can have it. And as a result, the the Babylonians come and destroy, despite all of the warnings that the prophets sent to these people, they come and destroy all of Jerusalem. And we saw that in the first week at the very end of 2 Kings and the very end of 2 Chronicles, a story of how the Babylonians came and destroyed everything they held dear. And so in the midst of this lament, this crying out to God for help, this memorial of the destruction that had happened in Jerusalem and And an invitation, a a song actually, a poem written for us to recite in times of distress. We want to finish the third chapter together, the largest of the chapters. Each each of these poems, remember, has been an acrostic with each line starting with the next level or next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So there's 22 verses in each of them. But what you find here is that there's actually 66 in chapter 3 because the pace picks up, and there are now three lines per letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So I want to, to pick up in verse 40, and we'll read to the end of the chapter together. Beginning in verse 40. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us, Panic and pitfall have come upon us, devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. 
I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. We believe this is God's word to his people. My prayer is that it becomes, in some mysterious way, the very voice of God to the people of God. I invite you now to the downward slope of the second half of Lamentation. I want to invite you into the the trajectory that is from here on out going to sound worse and worse. Last week we saw that the, the focus of the central chapter of the book of Lamentation was an experience of God's steadfast mercy, his faithfulness and his sufficiency such that they, uh, the original hearers and the original writer of this poem experienced hope in the midst of smack dab in the middle of suffering. And that's quite a contradiction. A contradiction that is mysterious, that, that I believe will stretch the limits of your imagination. It will stretch the limits of what you can even conceive of. Hope in the midst of hopeless circumstances. That contradiction, my friend, is what I would describe as a gospel contradiction. And I want it to settle deep into your bones. I want it to rest in the depths of your soul and mine. Lament is a practice of hope. Confession of sin that's grotesque and destructive and brings on consequences that destroy us and others is a practice in hope. Repentance is a practice in hope. And we saw last week that God's kindness, His mercy and faithfulness invite us into what we saw at the beginning to examine our ways and return to Him. The way back to Him is to lament the fact that we've wandered away. The way back to Him is to lament the current state of things. To cry out to Him and say, this is awful. As I've been sharing every week, I hope this is an encouragement to you. You've maybe projected your own insecurities onto what you believe about God because you and I don't like criticism. We don't like to hear complaints against us. And yet I want you to be encouraged. This, this inspired word of God here 
has been laid out for you so that you'll know this is exactly how God means for us to respond in adversity, to cry out to him, to complain to him. And when he hears us complain about the the awfulness of sin and the awfulness of of a broken world marred by sin, he doesn't say shame on you. He's He's not insecure and defensive like you and me. He says, I know, that's what I've been trying to tell you. And for these people who had gone to the other gods of the other nations and put their hope and trust in different circumstances, when they failed and finally turned back to God in, in this particular book, God doesn't reject them, but instead we see inspires the poetic songs and the language to cry out to him. In the same way that a good and loving parent delights when a child comes to them with their issue rather than someone else. And so, we discovered last week the central focus of Lamentation chapter 3, the the faithfulness and unending mercy that's, that's evident every day because of God's loving kindness is something we experience smack dab in the context of difficult circumstances. And what we encounter from here on out, as you saw here, did you hear the focus turned after kind of crying out to God, the focus was back to the taunts of the enemy. And from here on out, that that will be the case. we've, We've kind of reached this experience of hope in the midst of devastation, but for the next three weeks, it will get worse. The, the situation will continue to disintegrate. And so we're meant to kind of see sandwiched in this book of absolute devastation, a gospel contradiction. Hope in the Lord in the midst of deteriorating awful circumstances. I think this is a timeless word and especially a timely word. At, at the very least, many of us have things to lament. We're, we're all grieving the loss of something right now. At the very least, we're, we're just grieving the loss of our, our way of life. We're, we're realizing how fragile our way of life really is. And that is, as this book tells us, lamentable. You shouldn't be content in that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't take delight in that. Instead, that should be a reminder, a cause for verse 40, an examination of our ways and return to the Lord. What I want you to see is that that trust in God in the midst of suffering is worship. So follow with me as we kind of zoom in and zoom out what it is that's happening at the end of this chapter. If you want to, you can join me in, uh, and I've tried to connect us to all, all different places in the Old Testament. If you want to, you can join me in Leviticus. I know it's your favorite book of the Bible. It is mine. It actually is pretty great. The center of it is the atonement. But if you'll turn to me to chapter 26 of Leviticus, and you'll see, remember, I've been trying to connect the dots, that, that the things that seem awful, right? Did you hear how awful the circumstances are that God has, without pity, Broad discipline on these people, but I want you to connect the dots. We saw it's connected to the end of the warnings that were given uh, by Elisha in, in the end of Second Chronicles and the end of Second Kings. We saw it's also connected to, we saw the last couple of weeks, it's connected to the warnings sent by Amos, by Isaiah, and we'll see even in the weeks to come, they're, they're connected to the warnings directly given by uh, by the prophet Jeremiah, and then we saw even it's connected to the curses that were warned about in Deuteronomy, but I want you to see here, they're also connected to 
uh, chapter 26, the curses and blessings for obedience and disobedience in Leviticus chapter 26. Remember, this is a book that says, here's what holiness will look like when you enter into this promised land. When, when God delivers you from captivity, when you, when you make it to the promised land, this is what holiness will look like. This is what living in light of God's atoning love for us will look like. So the beginning of chapter 26, you shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pill, pillar and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. And verse 3 says, if you walk in my statutes. You hear that language, remember? That we, we reflect on our ways. We saw in, in verse 40 of Lamentation 3. And then when we reflect on our ways, we return to him. So he says, look, here's how your ways will be. Here's the way in which you will walk. And if so... This will happen. And, and for the next several verses, there's a list of blessings. There's prosperity that they will experience by, by God's mercy. Their enemies will be defeated. However, now look in verse 14, the turn. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will, do, so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seeds in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. So did you hear that language that, that's fulfilled in Lamentation? Did you hear that the, the focus in Lamentation chapter 3 is on what? The enemies. The enemies that God allowed to come and take over. But I want you to connect that. That is exactly how God said this would go. If you want to worship the gods of the nations, then God's wrath is, is no longer that he calls you back to himself. God's wrath is like, fine, you want those gods? Go ahead. Try to be satisfied with that. You see this in Romans chapter 1, the New Testament, that that's what God's wrath really is. Mercy is when you want to compel someone back. Wrath and vengeance is when you just say, fine. Right? So if you were walking into traffic, I'd probably yell at you, and, and I might even come tackle you. And you might wonder why I would do such a harmful, hurtful thing. And it would seem very unloving. But in fact, it would be my best attempts to keep you from harm. That would actually be love. Wrath would be if I saw you walking into traffic and said, got to learn the hard way. Good luck. Go on. And so you see the promise given through Moses in Leviticus that when they get to the promised land, if they're, if they're not going to trust God, if they're not going to be his covenant people in his covenant promised land, then this is what's going to happen. The enemies are going to turn. Verse 21, then if you walk contrary to me, right, even more, and will not listen to me, right? Now this is the fulfillment of all the prophets that God had sent for the rest of the Old Testament to ask them to turn. Turn or else. This is going to get bad. Remember but if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads will be deserted. 
You see in verse 23 and 27 again, And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you. And so the beginning of Lamentation chapter 3, remember that? It was a recollection of feeling like God was the enemy, like a hunter, like he had destroyed them. Verse 27, but if in spite of this, right, the layers get deeper, right? Hey, I'm going to send you a warning, and if you don't, there'll be discipline. But I'll send you another one. If not, there'll be more discipline. And if you still don't listen, verse 27, in spite of this, you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me again. Then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. So what we see in Lamentation is, in fact, an encouraging affirmation that God keeps his promise. He even keeps his promise to take sin seriously. And while that's usually encouraging when we think about someone else's sin, which you see here at the end of Lamentation chapter 3, it's meant also to be an encouragement such that we experience hope in God's faithfulness in the midst of the worst circumstances. The worst circumstances are the context for hope for the Christian. Now, I want to walk you through the, as we kind of step back into, for the next few weeks, the, the devastation that was brought upon, right? Did you hear the, the discipline of sevenfold? Like, it, it's, it's bad. But as we turn towards that with kind of a, a glimmer of hope in the background that was sandwiched in the middle of the book of Lamentation, you're meant to see what I would say, at first glance, serves as a contradiction. My hope is that, like, as you start to contemplate these contradictions on your own mind, right, that God can be loving and merciful and the circumstances can be awful. That ought to, like, stretch your that ought to stretch your imagination. Like, how can it be that God is good and merciful and faithful and the world stinks, right? That's, that, is a, that is a contradiction. Here's what, I, I hope it cracks your brain. I hope you feel your mind melting because when it starts to deteriorate and you're like, I can't even fathom of this, what you will find to take place at the end of like your deterioration of your brain is trust. And trust in the faithfulness of God in the midst of suffering is worship. Because when you encounter a mystery beyond your understanding, you've got a couple of options. One is to dismiss it. This is foolishness. The other, the Bible says, is to worship. (laughs) When you encounter mysteries that big, the Lord allows them to press in on your consciousness to remind you that you're not God. Right? If, if you knew the answers to these questions, why, how can it be that this and that, then, then you would be God. But since we don't, that mind-melting, what seems like a contradiction, is an invitation to hope and worship in the midst of our circumstances. Many times as we're in the Old Testament or New Testament, I try to kind of point you to what I think are artists' rendering of, of what seems to be happening. I want to point out, uh, I just briefly looked for some artwork for Lamentations chapter 3. And here's what I found. This is an artist's rendering, their interpretation, or what they were inspired to paint as a result of Lamentation chapter 3. A serene and beautiful little, like, countryside cottage, if you will. Like, oh, this is beautiful. Like, home on the range, right? It's beautiful. It's amazing. Right? Just a beautiful, wonderful circumstance. Just a peaceful, serene kind of setting, isn't it? Isn't that an environment you would want to be in? Maybe ask yourself, how easily would you find hope 
in an environment like that. Here's another one. Again, I've just, I, I, I spent maybe 10 seconds looking for art. It's just, it's, this is it's just this quick. Um, for all of you who are artists, I, I, I usually have kind of like two problems. One is that most of what qualifies as Christian art is just objectively bad. It's just not compelling. Um, I, and I, again, I, I, want, I want like, hey, artists in the room, go make beautiful art. But sometimes it's objectively bad because it's it's not biblical. It's not compelling. It's not inspiring. So here's another one. This is Lamentation chapter 3, complete with a verse. I mean, this belongs on your coffee table, doesn't it? A person sitting on a beach with a, with a beautiful umbrella, the colorful umbrella. Oh my goodness, what an amazing setting. And then you come to find other artists who render Lamentation chapter 3, and it looks like this. A depiction of the fall of Jerusalem. And just stop for a minute. Look closely at the details of suffering from top to bottom of this painting. Can you see it? The devastation, the violence. And so, picture, if you will, the setting of lamentation. The setting in which we find A calling to hope in God's faithfulness is not a serene environment. It is utter devastation. It's less like a beach and it's more like a a post-apocalyptic nightmare. right? So I don't know what your favorite post-apocalyptic movie is. Mine is Mad Max. And so the setting of Lamentation is probably more like this, like a, a desolate wasteland. Maybe you have a more, you know, I'm also a water world fan. I'm the only one in the world who liked it. But like post-apocalyptic nightmares, right? They're meant to, they're meant to invoke like, a, oh my, things can't get worse. And, and I want you to see that's actually the setting for hope. And as we take the turn, as we think about the enemies of God's people taunting, things get worse. The, the setting for hope is less like a beach, right? This guy on a beach. And is more like this guy... In Mad Max. <laughs> Behold, my Photoshop skills. <laughs> but notice, a serene setting of someone sitting on a beach, it doesn't make me hope for God's deliverance. It doesn't make me hope that God would save and redeem me. It just makes me hope I could get to a beach. But to experience serenity in the midst of devastation and violence, friend, and especially artist, that's compelling, isn't it? That's confounding, is it not? That stretches the limits of our imagination, does it not? It seems like a contradiction. How can a person sit peacefully and and quietly, as we saw last week, and patiently, as we saw last week, in the midst of utter devastation. And friend, the answer we see is to hope in God alone. We can paint a picture of a beautiful circumstance, right? This picture just makes me want to go to the beach. It doesn't make me want to hope and depend on God. It doesn't make me want to hope in and experience His redemption. It makes me want to just go to the beach, But trust in the faithfulness of God in the midst of suffering is worship. And so for the rest of this book, as we turn to this contradiction, did you you hear some of that? 
We're going to examine our ways. But then, beginning in verse 43, he begins to address the anger. Remember we saw in, in, uh, in, in chapter 26 of Leviticus, the sevenfold discipline of the Lord. Did you catch that? The sevenfold fury. He starts to experience that, and, and we're, we're faced with a profound mystery, are we not? How can we experience God's faithfulness, his redemptive work, his covenant-keeping character in the midst of the presence and consequences of sin in the world? Experienced anger and killing, violence. I, I love verse 44, a, a cloud that seems to keep the prayers from passing through to God. Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt that way, prayed out a prayer that felt like desperation that maybe just bounced off the ceiling? It starts with something, words like, God, if you're even real, right? Have you, you prayed one of those prayers? He says, this is actually the context, the environment, as awful, violent, and desolate as it may be to experience the faithfulness of God. Friend, it's how we can revel in the cross, we can revel and celebrate the worst of all days in history when the most innocent man was betrayed and hung on a cross. And we call that day as Christians by some, right, mind-melting mystery of the gospel, we call that Good Friday. Because we know that the hope in that story is the vindication, God's presence and faithfulness that's new every morning, especially for Christians, Easter morning. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking like, how can I believe that this is, how, in light of my circumstances, how can I believe that God is real? Well, why would I trust that there's, there's any help or hope for me? And I'm, I'm so grateful, if, if you wouldn't call yourself a believer in Jesus, I'm grateful that, that we can have these conversations. And I want to say first, Lamentation welcomes those questions. In fact, the, the original title of the book of Lamentations was just the first word, and it was how, right? And so Lamentations welcomes it. How can that be? And I want to invite you to consider a mystery, a, a mind-numbing mystery that, that will require you to get to the very end of your own imagination and intellect and trust in something bigger, greater, and beyond yourself. So he experiences the wrath of God, the distance from God. That's what, after all, we saw in Leviticus, that's what sin does. It, it puts God at a distance. It says, fine, I don't, I don't really want you, God. I want my way. I know better than you anyway. I don't want to do what you think I should do with, with sexuality or with money or with relationships or friendships or community or my sin. I, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I know what's best for me. I, I know how to make these decisions on my own, God. I, I don't need you to tell me what to do. I can be God all on my own. And as you saw that in Leviticus, when you walk against God, it says that he, by nature, has to walk against you. The narrator is looking for hope and rest. The second thing I want you to see here is that, that gospel contradiction of hope in the midst of hopeless situations that we'll see for the rest of the next three weeks is also, if you caught there, he, as he begins to turn his attention to his enemies. Did you catch that in verse 46? They're taunting. They're, 
they're making mouths. They're making fun of us because of the destruction. And, and he begins to weep and, and long for the Lord to deliver him. Now, now notice, what he's saying is an allusion to many of the Psalms that you and I have read. It's, it sounds very similar to Psalm 102 or Psalm 103 or Psalm 42, right? Like, like this, this picture of like, Lord, I can't stop weeping. I'm so sad. Come to be with me. Now, now just as a side note, it's as if he's alluding to these psalms as a way of saying, let's sing that song again. I, I, I say this just as a side note, but it, I want you to, to see the allusions as, as a descriptive example for us to follow. That is, you may heard me say this and maybe heard others say this, but like the songs we sing as a church on a Sunday are portable theology. They are portable theology. That is it. At any given moment, you can, with the simplicity, and that's how God made us, right? We just remember things better when they're in a song, right? Think of the most annoying jingle, right? You, you're like, I don't know why that's stuck in my head, right? If I asked you to sing the Menards jingle right now, every one of you could do it, right? Praise God if you can't, that you're, you've been delivered from evil, but the rest of us, <laughs> right? But that's just one of them many, and, and we remember, that's how God made us, uh, with, as creatures who love art, and we remember these things, and, and, and that's, what, that's how you learn the ABCs. I, I don't know anyone who learned the ABCs without a, a, a tune. I would love to meet the person who just learned A, B, C, like, right? And God made us this way, and the Psalms are meant to be our portable theology. The exclamation mark I would put on that, because he's alluding to Psalm 103, Psalm 102, Psalm 40, many others. The exclamation point I've, I, I put on this in lament is, I am on, on more than one occasion, enough to where now I have, a re, I have a reinvigorated conviction about this. On more than one occasion, I have had the, the blessing of being at someone's bedside in their last moments on this earth. And do you know what they want to do? Sing me that song. Let's sing me that song. And hopefully, like in the library of songs, the portable theology I bring is in that moment of dire need, full of grace, full of hope. And so the, the poet here is singing, let's sing that one again. Let's sing that one again about how we're weeping and downtrodden. Let's sing that one again, how we know that our only hope for revival of our spirit is that God would hear us. And we sing the song of lament and trial, trusting that God, in the end, will hear us. Did you hear the turn in verse 55? I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. A mentor of mine shared this with me, and I, I want to repeat it every time I get the chance. When, when, when the Bible speaks of this, right, we, we often talk about hitting rock bottom. And a mentor of mine helped me see this, that the, the good news about hitting rock bottom is that there is a rock at the bottom. And from the depths, often, it's when we cry out the most honestly and earnestly, when we get to the end of ourselves, when we realize finally, I can't fix this. I can't just get out of this by doing better or never doing this thing again. And what happens in verse 56 from the pits? You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I call on you. You said, do not fear. 
You have taken up my cause. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my case. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. He's saying, sing that one again. Let's sing that song again where it seems like there's no hope. It seems like it's going to come to an end. And it seems like we're going to be absolutely abandoned. And yet, when we do, we call out to the Lord from the depths of the pit. And what happens? He hears. He hears. The Lord hears. You can cry out to him. Directly to him. I shared this with you in in John chapter 3 when if you'll remember that John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that Jesus must increase. And his, you know, John's disciples were like, hey, you really need to become more popular. Jesus is really getting more popular. He said, no, 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 I've got to become more. I've got to become less so that he becomes more. I've got to decrease. And, and I showed you a painting that I, I love dearly. And it's a Grunewald painting of the crucifixion. And it shows John the Baptist just pointing with an elongated finger at the crucified Jesus. And I share with you my warning there is often that happens on a Sunday. I stand up here and is as compellingly and in, I don't know, and as an animated fashion as I could come up with, I, I point to Jesus. And my greatest fear is I'm over here pointing to something and you're all looking at my finger. What happens here? He says, no. Cry out to him. To him. It's, I know right now it seems like a, a believable kind of thing. That, oh, well, maybe he experiences. Maybe, maybe God listens to him, Right? I hear that, I've heard that a hundred times in my life, right? Like, you know, pastor, will you, will you pray for me? And, you know, will you, will you pray for, you know, no snow or something? And I always tell them the same thing. Listen, I'm not in management. I'm just in public relations, okay? Christ is our mediator. You, united to him, have just as much access to the Father as I do. I'm just in marketing and advertising, right? I'm just pointing you to him. So behold the mystery, I don't have a special connection with him. Each of us in Christ have an unfiltered access to him. The cloud that keeps our prayers from being heard by the Father is lifted because of Christ. And so, friend, don't look at my finger. Look at him. Look at him. I mean, I'm screaming about him. I'm telling you about him. And I still think you might, there's a problem, you might leave today and talk about the sermon rather than Jesus. You might leave today talking about the song rather than the one we were singing to. And my greatest fear and frustration, you'll leave here talking about what we did for an hour and a half rather than the God that you know. Friend, you, imagine what it would feel like to let those words come out of your own mouth. You, oh Lord, you've taken my cause, you've heard me, and you've redeemed me. Are the circumstances terrible? Yes. Does it feel a lot like Mad Max around you? Maybe. But you, in the midst of that cacophony, have heard my pleas for help. Cry to him. Call to him. If you hear nothing else from me today, you can call to him. And this book tells us you can actually call to him and complain to him. You can say, Lord, this is not good. I have much to grieve. And you can say to him difficult things. Like, I don't want to go on. There's no point in me living anymore. And the Lord won't rebuke you, but instead he'll hear you and say something like, apart from me, you're right. But friend, I will redeem you. Verse 57, do 
not fear. So he calls out to God. He's heard by God. He's redeemed by God. And then you see at the very end of this particular chapter, he is vindicated by God. We find here is that lament is trusting that God will deal with his enemies. And so, what do they do? They call out to God, and, then, and the focus turns from the, the enemies to you, God, and you, God, will now then deal with our enemies. You will vindicate us. You've taken up my cause. Verse 61, you've heard their taunts, right? So do you hear the connection? That word, it's a word play we see at the end of there. You heard my prayers and pleas, but you also heard their taunts. So look what they do first. This is an invitation for you and I. Cry out to God as the defender. Cry out to God. God, take care of me. God, protect me. God, don't let me lose hope. And look to God for vindication. Think of it this way. Connect the dots here. If he hears our prayers for help, then he also hears the taunts of the enemy. The fact that he hears all these things is evidence that he will vindicate us. Because he's listening closely to our cries for help, he is also listening closely for the taunts of the enemy, such that he can pray in verse 64 and declare confidently, You, O Lord, will repay them. Because since he hears our cries from the pit, he hears the taunts of the enemy from wherever he is. Lament, right lament, looks to God for vindication. Remember I told you this, you you can lament to God and, and blame him and then kind of insert yourself as the solution. That's not biblical, that's to be repented of. But, but biblical lament is to look to God and say, this is unfair, this is wrong, this is unjust, and yet you alone can and you alone will deliver me. Your ways are above my ways, but I know I can trust you. And just hear the language. I called, you heard, you came, you took up my cause, you redeemed, and now you see and you judge. You hear and see me, and if you've heard my cries to redeem me, then you have heard their taunts and you will destroy them. God is the defender who is aware. He's aware of us and our suffering and our cries for help. And he is aware of our enemies and their taunts. Cry out to God then for vindication as a defender. And you can do this because we know that he will vindicate. He will deliver. Look, sin and its effects bring us low. Yet since the Lord hears us and redeems us, we know that he will also vindicate us against our enemies. How do we know this is true? We'll finish in John chapter 11. Lamentation is an invitation to to biblically cry out to God, to grieve loss in the world. And the shortest verse in the Bible testifies to this. John 11 35, Jesus going to the tomb of his friend Lazarus who had died. The very shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35. What did he do? Jesus wept. He wept. Verse 32, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been there, 
my brother would not have died. Stop for a minute. Do you hear the lament? You hear the blame? Right? You hear kind of almost the taunt of an enemy? Come on, man. What are you doing? Why'd you let this happen? But what, is it, what does Jesus do? Does Jesus, like, I don't know what I would, at this point, right? I'm like, listen here, Mary, right? You know who you're talking to? He doesn't do that. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come also weeping, what did he do? He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. That's not what I would have done. Why are you complaining to me? In verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And in verse 35, Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, listen to another taunt to the enemy. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? You hear it? Hear the taunts of the enemy? Now, look, I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have wept, right? I would have, I would have skipped to the end, right? I'd been like, guys, stop crying. I can resurrect. And then he, and he does it. He, he, raises Jesus, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Forty, and so that's that's later. That's chapters later. Jesus raised from the dead. He he raises Lazarus from the dead, and 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 then explains to them, "That's what I do. I am the resurrection and the life." And even in the face of taunts, he's able to lament. He's able to weep because he knows that God will vindicate. The taunts of the enemy can be endured, and we can lament in the midst of it because we know that in the end he will vindicate. I wouldn't have done that, right? Stop crying. I'm going to raise him from the dead. Seriously. It's enough of this. Haven't you heard me? You know, haven't you heard me talk about this before? And yet he doesn't. And so we know that in the awfulness of sin and its effects, even as we're brought low, because we know that he hears our cries from the pit, we know that he hears the taunts of the enemy, and he ultimately silences them. John includes the taunts of the enemy here, Right? Right, even It paints Mary in a bad light, doesn't it? Mary's like, come on, Jesus. Have you ever done that? Have you ever cried out to God that way? Join the club. And we can rightly lament because we know that Jesus himself even wept. He wept. Not because he was hopeless, and not because he wouldn't remedy this, the, the situation. Neither of those things are true. But he was free to weep. He was free to lament because he knew that God would vindicate him. Look how the author of Lamentation says, All right, God, look at them. You've heard them. Destroy them. You know their plots against me. Stop for just a moment and I want you to pray on this and reflect on this. When you think about suffering, when you think about the effects of sin in your own life, how often do you relate that to the work of the enemy? Maybe especially when you, when you find yourself in the deepest despair and deepest hopelessness, how often do you consider that's actually the voice of the enemy just, just pounding away? Friend, the Lord hears your cries for redemption just as clearly as he hears the taunts of the enemy. And he will respond according to his character. Redemption and mercy for those of us who have found ourselves at the bottom of the pit. 
and vindication and vengeance for all his enemies. Isn't that what Jesus demonstrates? In a plot to stop this, in a plot to end what God was doing in Christ, the the plot that ended in betrayal, that ended in, in being hung, abandoned on an old rugged cross, Jesus cries out, what? A psalm of lament from Psalm 22 from the cross, knowing that he will be vindicated. Knowing. Look, the longest part of our life is not this life. The longest part of our life is eternity that is to come. Not this brief flash. This experience at the bottom of the pit is but a moment. And we can lament it for what it is because we know that victory is in Christ. That in Christ our cries are heard. In Christ all of our enemies are put to death. Isn't it a great ironic twist of faith? They're like, let's put Jesus to death. And he's like, fine, I'll put death to death, right? Let's, let's put Jesus in a grave. And he's like, fine, I'll put the grave in a grave. And, they're like, and, and, and we even see the Father imputing our sin on the righteousness of Jesus. And what happens? It puts it to death. Friend, you can lament and cry out to God from the depths of the pit for your sin and the effects of sin because you know that ultimately he will hear, redeem, and vindicate us in front of our enemies. They lament to Jesus. If only you'd been there. What does he do? He weeps with them. Would you join me today in looking directly to a God who comes to weep with us in Christ? To mourn the devastating effects of sin. To take them on himself. And to rise again victoriously, vindicated over our enemy. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much. We thank you that there is language for lament here, even in the midst of devastating circumstances, even in the most difficult of circumstances. God, I confess to you, I often just hope for a change in circumstances, not in you. I thank you for the language of this poetic lament that invites us to call out to you, directly to you. We thank you that in Christ the the veil is torn, the clouds are lifted, and our prayers are heard, and we can boldly approach you. So for those of us within the sound of my voice that maybe... Maybe that sounds absurd. Might today they begin to contemplate a mystery that would melt their imagination. That you mean to hear the cries of your people. That you long to draw near to your people and redeem them and restore them even from the depths. Father, we confess that this is something we regularly forget. We regularly cry out to lesser things. Might today be the day that we turn from those false trusts and false hopes. Might today be the day we turn to you from the depths of the pit, knowing that you are our redemption, you are our sure deliverance, and because of Christ, you are our sure vindication against the enemy, the accuser, death, hell, and the grave. Thank you that this is true for us and that it's good news purchased for us by Jesus Christ. Amen.